We're excited today. We're finishing up our series called Summer Mixtape Series. Through the month of August, we want to have different voices speaking into Toronto City Church. So why don't you get ready, because he just tore it up in first service. But closing off, the closer is our very own Pastor Samuel Kenga. So give it up for Pastor Samuel as he comes. And get ready for a word. Get ready for a word. <laughs> Good. Is it afternoon? It is afternoon. Good afternoon, Toronto City Church. Oh, man. Good afternoon, Toronto City Church. Awesome, man. No pressure at all. He was just like, you know, he tore it up for a service. Get ready to get your life changed and thing. And then watch me just, 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 but hopefully not. <laughs> you know what? Before I start, um, I said this during first service, but I felt it again super strongly, second service during worship. And I could feel the emotions of God, the jealous yearning of God for his people. And there was this invitation of the Lord for his people, us, to come up higher. But a lot of us were hesitant. We were resistant. And the Lord took me, and this is for a service, and he reminded me again of this scripture in 2 Samuel. My phone is not. That's why you have a paper Bible. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 6, it says this. But when they arrived at the threshing floor of Nacon, so before I read the scripture, I want to say so what is happening here, the backstory of this, is David and his army went to take the ark back from the Philistine. And he gathered, gathered an army to welcome the ark back into the city of David. So they're throwing this party, they're doing all these sacrifices, and this is what happened. When they arrived at the threshing floor of Nacon, the oxen stumbled, and Uzzah reached out his hand and steadied the ark of God. My guy was just trying to steady the ark of God. He was trying. He thought he was doing the right thing. Then the Lord's anger was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him dead because of this. So Uzzah died right there beside the ark of God. David was angry because the Lord's anger had burst out against Uzzah. So he named that place Perez Uzzah, which means to burst out against Uzzah, as it is still called today. David was now afraid of the Lord, and he asked, how can I bring the ark of the Lord back into my care? So David decided not to move the ark of the Lord into the city of God. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom of Gath. So the reason why I read the scripture is this, and like I said, I could feel the jealous um, the jealousy and the jealous desire of the Lord calling us to go higher. And for some of us, we're a little bit like David. Now, the reason why David sent the ark away is because he was offended with the Lord because something happened that he did not understand. He couldn't understand why Uzzah, who was trying to do the right thing in making sure that the ark didn't fall, was struck dead. See, my friend, often offense robs us from the call of intimacy with the Lord. Where the Lord can call us close and be like, hey, my friend, come on closer. But just like David, we become afraid of the Lord and we're like, we're good. I'm going to send the presence away to Obed-Edom. And I'm not going to draw near. I'd rather have you away from me because you did something or something happened that I did not understand and I need to understand. And what is interesting is this, is three months after... The ark was at Obed-Edom's house. The Bible says that the Lord started to bless Obed-Edom. And David is like, wait a second, time out. Why is this guy getting blessed? That should have been mine. He goes back and grabs the ark. And here's the thing. Offense can cause you to distance yourself from the very thing that you're supposed to get. When you are offended with the Lord, it robs you of an inheritance that he is supposed to give you. 
And this morning or this afternoon, my friends, there is an invitation for encounter. There is an invitation for intimacy. There is an invitation for oneness with the Lord. But we first must rid our hearts of offense with the Lord. And this thought, for some of you, of being offended with the Lord, you're like, I'm not offended with the Lord. Why would I be offended with the Lord? The religious spirit comes up and says, no, I can't be offended with the Lord. But really, look at your heart. And there may have been a place where you felt like the Lord promised something, and it didn't come to pass as you thought it was, and you lost hope. And you're just like, you know what, God, I'm going to distance myself from your word. Or I'm going to stop pushing in. I'm going to stop trusting you. I'm going to stop. And that, my friend, is offense. Because you are not, just like David, on the journey of bringing the Ark of Covenant to the city of David. So I want to encourage you this morning, before we start, search your heart. Search your heart as I'm speaking. Ask the Lord, is there a place or are there places of offense with you, God? Because who, who wants to answer the call of God for intimacy? Who wants to answer the call of God for intimacy? Who wants to be closer with the Lord? Who wants to ascend the mountain of the Lord? It should be all of us. And if I am in your position, and I am, I will search my heart to make sure that there's nothing that is stopping me from receiving the word of God or the invitation of the Lord. Amen? That's a good word, Pastor. That is a good word. That is, that is really good. So, thank you. <laughs> so today we're going to read out of 1 Corinthians 10. And this, this is called Lessons from Israel's Idolatry. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1. I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them, and all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. In a cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. All of them ate the same spiritual food, and all of them drank the same spiritual water. For they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them, and the rock was Christ. Yet God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. These things happened as a warning to us. These things happened as a warning to us so that we would not crave the evil things as they did or worship idols as some of them did. As scripture says, the people celebrated with feasting and drinking and they indulged in pagan revelry. And most of, uh, and must, and we must not engage, pardon me, in sexual immorality as some of them did, causing 23,000 of them to die in one day. Sheesh. Nor should we put Christ to the test as some of them did and, did and died from snake bites. And, here we go, don't grumble as some of them did and then were destroyed by the angel of death. These things happened to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. These things happened to them as example for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. These things happened to them as examples to us. They were written down to warn us. 
So what are these things that happen? I'm going to talk to you guys specifically. There's a lot of things that happen. They talk about sexual morality. They talk about um, worship of pagan gods. There's a whole heap of stuff that happened. But there's one thing that the Lord highlighted to me that I want to talk to us. It's this thing that they did that often we also do. It is grumbling and mumbling. What is grumbling and mumbling? So, or murmuring, pardon me. Murmuring means to complain in a low tone, to criticize, to grumble in the action for the action of others. Or grumbling means to express, express complaint in a bad-tempered way. So grumbling to express, the Lord is not afraid of us expressing complaint, but it's when we do it in a bad-tempered way. And then murmuring, which is bold, is just not to do it out loud. That's sometimes we're just like, oh, just... Anyways, these people were like masters at this, and the Bible tells us not to do it. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna go th- we're going to go through the story, and we're going to talk about three things, um, three dangers of partnering with murmuring and grumbling. So the backstory of this, we know the people of Israel were in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. Everyone say 400 years. Not one, not two, not three, 400 years. And the Bible says... In Exodus 1.13, so the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. They made their lives bitter, forcing them to mix mortar and make bricks and do all the work, all the work in the fields. All the work, not one. So these guys were chilling in the back and the, the Israelite was just doing all the work in the field. They were ruthless in all other demands. See, slavery, they were enslaved people. They were being like the Egyptians were ruthless with them. They were working them super hard. Not only that, but Pharaoh became threatened by them because he, they, the, Egypt, the, the Hebrews were getting big or, or large in numbers. So what he said is he put out a decree. He told all the midwives. He's like, you know what? Every time there's a newborn Hebrew boy, what you got to do is you got to kill him. And the Bible says that the, that the midwives fear the Lord. And they refused to do it. This is an aside. And this is an aside. The Bible actually said, because they fear the Lord, the Lord prosper them. Every time we fear the Lord over fear of man, there's prosperity on the other side of it. So every time we are before a decision, and, or before, before, every time we have a decision to make, and we, put, we fear God before fearing men, there's prosperity attached to it. Anyways, the midwives said, listen, we're not going to do it because we fear God. God prosper them. So Pharaoh puts out a nationwide decree, and he says, anyone who sees a Hebrew woman giving birth to a son, take that boy, throw him in the Nile River, which is wild. See, I have a super vivid um, imagination, and, like, I see words in pictures. So when I'm reading the story, I did some research about what it could look like, what the Nile River was. So in the Nile River, there are croc- it's, an, it's a crocodile-infested river. There is a crocodile. They call, it's called the Nile Crocodile. And this crocodile grows up to 20 feet Six meters, 20 feet. And it weighs about 750 kilograms, which is about 1,500 pounds. This thing is a whole dinosaur. It is gigantic. It is huge. Now, I know this is a bit gruesome. I want you guys to imagine with me now a newborn baby, this is close to home, being ripped from his mom's arms, from his father's arms, and being thrown into the Nile River. Is he not only is he drowning, but he is being fed to the crocodile. 
Imagine as a parent hearing the screams of baby. Imagine as a parent going by the Nile River, seeing the Nile River red because of blood. Imagine how they must have felt. This was what was happening in Egypt. It was not a good scene. And it is in this backdrop, against this backdrop, that the Lord says in Exodus 2.25, the Bible says, God looked down, he looked down on the people of Israel, and he knew it was time to act. Long story short, God encounters Moses in the desert. You know this? There's a, born, there's a burning bush. God speaks to Moses in the burning bush. If you don't know the story, who's watched uh, Prince of Egypt? If you, have, if you haven't watched it, if hands are good, you should go watch it. It's a, good movie. it's a good movie. If you don't want to watch the movie, read the book. There's more details in Exodus about this. But I'm going to skip some of, some of the details. So the Lord encounters Moses in the burning bush. Long story short, God tells Moses, hey, you're the guy. You will save the people of Israel. So Moses goes back to Egypt, and he tells Pharaoh, listen, God said I'm the guy. You need to free my people. Long story short, again, Pharaoh says, you must be out of your mind. Time out. I'm not letting these people go. Moses and God talk, back and forth, miracles happen, there are plagues that come to Egypt, and Pharaoh's like, okay, fine, you guys can go. So imagine this, 400 years of captivity, the promise of God comes to pass. Imagine how happy the people of Israel must have been. The dancing, the joy, the spinning around, like, oh my goodness, I can't believe it happened. And all the songs, I think, there was actually a poem and a song that was written. And these guys were just, just it was, a, 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 I can only imagine how big of a jam this whole thing was. It was a 400-year-old promise that was coming to pass. Jubilation, like we say. Like just, just absolutely happy. So these guys are happy, they're dancing, they get before the Red Sea, and before they get to the Red Sea, the Bible says that Pharaoh changes his mind. He's like, wait a second, time out. I've built, we've built our whole economy on free labor, because these people were doing all the work in the field, we were doing none of the work in the field. So he rallies his army, he's like, we're going to chase these people because we need to capture again. Chases them, and then we get to Exodus 14. The Hebrews look up, they see the, the, the Egyptian army, and they say this to Moses. Why did you bring us here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't, didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be slave in Egypt than to be a corpse in the wilderness. So this leads us. So my first point, which is complaining, grumbling, murmuring, fogs your discernment where you call good bad. Listen, we just painted the picture of Egypt. Egypt was a place where they literally were working them to the bone. Egypt was a place where they took their firstborn, they took their sons and gave them to the crocodiles. Egypt was a place of suffering. It wasn't a good place. But because of their attitude, they look back, they're like, why don't you take us back to Egypt? How does that make sense? How does that make sense? See, that's what happens when we murmur and when we grumble. It fogs our discernment. We call good bad and bad good. See, God told them, I'm going to bring you out of, the, out of Egypt to the promised land. And they were saying, we're going to die. See, the roots of grumbling is actually a lack of trust in God. 
When we don't trust God, that's where we're just like, nah, this is not going to happen. See, God told them, I'll take you. And they get to a place where they didn't trust God. So they're like, how is this going to happen? Take me back to Egypt. Oh, God, we're going to die. We're going to die today. Oh, Jesus, we're going to die. But they forgot not too long ago about the God of miracle who showed signs and wonders. And instead of putting their faith in God, they actually put their distrust in God. Because that's what complaining, murmuring, and grumbling does. See, Jeremiah 17, 5, 6 says this. Curse is the one who trusts in men, who draws strength from mere flesh hand, whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wasteland. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will not see prosperity when it comes. See, when we grumble and we murmur, because it's distrust in God, prosperity can come our way. We will not see it come. The story yesterday, I was telling for a service. Yesterday, uh, my wife was going to take my eldest daughter out on a play date with a friend. And my youngest daughter saw that my wife was about to leave, and she's like, nah, it's not happening. So she's like, Mom, I wanna go. Mom, I wanna go. Mom, mommy, I wanna go. And she just kept on going at it. So I looked at my wife, I'm like, yo, babes, you gotta take her. I don't think I can handle this. I was supposed to stay home with my son, uh, with my son and her, but she's like, Mom, I wanna go. So my wife was like, okay, fine. Zaya, you can come. Zaya, mom, I want to go. Mom, I want to go. Zaya, you can come. Mom, I want to go. Mom, I want to Zaya, you can come. Mom, I want to. So I was like, Zaya, come here. Look at me. Calm down. Take a deep breath. Stop crying. You can go. You can go. You're able to go. See, because she was complaining, she was murmuring, she was doing all this kind of stuff, she couldn't see the good that was coming to her. And how many of us do that to God? Where the Lord is like, listen, if you just shut your mouth for a second, you will see the good that is coming to you. Stop complaining. Stop it. Stop it and listen. Come on, let's not be like Zalia. I want to go, I want to go. And God is like, hey, hey, hey. Listen. Just listen. And you will see that I have an answer for you. 12. Another story. So I'm 16, and um, this is, I'll call it like the pinnacle of like the formation of hormones in your body. You're just like... You know? You guys know what it means. Um, so 16, and, and me and my friend like this girl, and we're going to call her Esther. And my friend and I are talking, and I'm like, I lied to my friend. Yes, I lied. So I lied to my friend. I'm like, hey, listen, man, you know, Esther and I, you know, we're kind of talking still. You know, we're just, we're just chatting. So my friend gets jealous. My friend gets jealous, and he goes and asks Esther, Hey, Esther, are you and Samuel kind of talking? Because you and I were talking. So this is what Esther tells my friend. Esther goes, Ew, I will never go out with Samuel. He is so ugly. So my friend, being the good friend that he is, comes back to me laughing with a smile on his face. He's like, Yo, why'd you lie? 
I'm like, what do you mean? What do you mean? He goes, you know, I talked to Esther, and this is what she said. Ew, I will never go out with Samuel. He is so ugly. So you can imagine how I felt. Embarrassed, rejected, name it. What else? Ashamed. What else? Help me out. Brokenhearted. Pardon me? Ugly? Yes. <laughs> absolutely. That's good. I did. I felt absolutely ugly. I felt, well, I felt angry because that was the only thing that I could feel. You're allowed to feel as a man. Anyways, they tell you you're allowed to feel as a man. Felt ugly. Felt brokenhearted. Felt this whole thing. So I'm talking to the Lord, and I'm like, okay, God, we, we, we need to have a conversation. So I'm, I'm going to the Lord complaining, God, I want a girlfriend. God, I need a girlfriend. I need to not feel ugly. I need to find someone who is going to think that I'm good-looking, God. And God is like, just relax, Samuel. Don't worry about it. No, God, I want a girlfriend. So this is MSN days. Who remember MSN? <laughs> last, last, last service, I said MSN fast, and it sounded like MSN. So people just kind of looked at me like, God, I'm like, how do you guys not remember MSN? But anyways, MSN. This is MSN date, and this is before fast speed internet. It was DSL, so the internet was super slow. And, <laughs> and I remember it's like you would put the volume super loud. So it's like, and put yourself on do not disturb, or what was it? Like not seen. And then as soon as someone would come in, it was like, and you would run to the computer and see if it was your crush that was on. Anyways, I was talking to my niece. I'm talking to my, no, I'm talking to the Lord. Like I told you guys, I'm like, God, I want a girlfriend. And as I hear myself talking to you clearly like this, internally I hear God. He goes, no. I'm like, God, I want a girlfriend. He goes, no. I said, God, I said, I said that I want a girl. Okay? He goes, all right, fine. And I kid you not, five minutes later, my niece, who's my age, messages me. And is like, hey, I have a friend. You know, I'll hook you up with a friend. And I'm like, cool, cool. Right. So I start talking to this girl. She becomes my girlfriend. And, and um, she was the very opposite of who I was. Like different faith belief, different value system. Um, she, she just was super, super, super different. Yes. We'll say this thing. But here I am, I'm planning my, my wedding with this girl in my head because, again, I'm like the hopeless romantic, right? And this girl, and she was pretty. She made me feel like I wasn't ugly. She made me, because I would go to my friend, look like, at my girlfriend. <laughs> like my girlfriend? Look at her. <laughs> you can't get a girl that's pretty, can you? <laughs> Esther, who's ugly now? Who's ugly now? <laughs> Anyways, she made me feel super good about myself. Made me feel absolutely good about myself. So we're talking. And then that year was also the year where, who remembers Little John? Da-da, 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 da-da. Anyways, so he was a beat maker, a producer, and I thought I was Little John. So what I would do in school is I would skip math class and go downstairs and make beats. And back then, who remembers floppy disk? I'm like absolutely dating myself. So, so back then, it was a keyboard with a floppy disk, and you would play and you would like record one half a beat on the floppy disk because they had no memory, and then save it. So I would spend all of my math class in music class making beats. And lo and behold, if you don't go to math class, what happens? You fail. So I failed math class. But my friends and I had a brilliant idea. Not so brilliant. So we're like, listen, we're going we're gonna to counterfeit our report cards. So we counterfeited report cards. And we did some stuff and thing, and I gave myself, I went from a 45, and I gave myself like a 90 in math. It should have been like at least a 52, you know what I mean? Like it's just, 
if you're going to be a criminal, be a smart criminal, Samuel. But I just wasn't. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to give myself a 90 because I deserve a 90. I don't. So fake my report card. Um, I go to Ottawa. This is where the girl was. I go to Ottawa. Um, <laughs> my sister calls. And my sister is like, hey, um, your real report card was sent home. So you need to come home and do summer school. And like, uh, uh, uh. The same time, this girl that I'm dating <laughs> comes to see me and says, hey, you know, so we had an argument. She was doing some stuff I wasn't, I wasn't in agreement with, and I responded badly. We had an argument. So she comes to see me and says this, says, hey, so my grandma read in the cards that there was a boy, <laughs> there was a boy who broke my heart. I said, what? What cards? <laughs> <laughs> What's cause? This lady's grandma was a whole witch. A whole witch. See, the reason why I'm telling the story was because my murmuring, my complaining, my, my, my grumbling caused my discernment to be off. See, I called what was good bad, and I called what was bad good. And I gave in to my own desire. I, I kid you not, I heard the Lord this clearly. But because I was doing what Zaya was, I want to come. And I was super complaining. I wasn't able to hear the Lord clearly. Or I heard him and I totally dismissed it. And how many of us do this? See, grumbling, complaining, and murmuring causes us to lose our ability to discern. And we call what is good bad and what is bad good. So the people of Israel continue their journey. For three days, not three weeks, not three months, not three years, they travel for three days. And after three days, they're at it again. Oh my gosh, Moses. Oh, Moses, we're going to die. We're thirsty, Moses. Oh my goodness. Moses, we're going to die. So they get to this fountain of water, and they, they, they drink the water, and the water is bitter. This leads me to my second point, and this is this is that murmuring, complaining, and grumbling will lead you to bitterness and will stop further movement and will stop you from moving further. I was totally off my notes and totally got lost. So here we are. Thank you. <laughs> so we saw in Jeremiah, in Jeremiah as I read that Really, the root of murmuring and grumbling is a lack of trust in God. And when you don't trust God, you don't see good happen. And when you don't see good happen, there's something that happens in your heart. It's called hope deferred. And hope deferred makes the heart sick. Sick with bitterness, sick with anger, sick, 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 sick. So when we murmur, when we grumble, we are swinging the door wide open to bitterness wide open to bitterness, and our hearts can't really hear what the Lord is saying. Wide open to bitterness. So my wife was here for a service, and I often tell the story. Um, she's not here to check facts, so I'm going to say my version of the story. Okay? That's what it is. She can watch online after. So, <laughs> so her and I, um, we, we got married. I've always wanted to be a father. No, six-year-old kids. I wanted to be two things. Two things. I wanted to be Benny Hinn and a father. 
That was my thing. I, I thought Benny Hinn was super cool. I take it. Anyways, super cool. Still want to be, still want to be like Benny Hinn. Um, two things, okay? So always wanted to be a father. Six-year-old, other kids want to be Superman and a pilot thing. I'm like, I want to be a father because I thought it was super cool. So I get married. I'm like, sweet, I can be a father. I can, you know? And my wife and I, we started trying. First year, I was saying first to first service. First year, she's like, no, babes, you know what? I just want you all to myself. I want your full attention. I want to gaze upon your beauty. Actually, they make me feel ugly. I want to gaze upon your beauty. Samuel, I just want to hold you. I'm like, fine. If you ask, I will not impregnate you our first year of marriage. That's not how it went. Um, <laughs> so first year of marriage, she was just like, you know what? Just you and I. And the second year of marriage, I was like, okay, let's, let's, let's start trying. So we started trying for a year. Nothing happens. I'm like, oh. <laughs> so we go see our doctor, and our doctor's like, hey, you know what? We actually need to send you to a specialist because usually after a year, you're supposed to get pregnant. I'm like, in Jesus' name. So we go see, we go see the specialist, and the specialist is like, hey, there is unexplained infertility. And I look at this guy. I'm like, you better find a way to explain this <laughs> about unexplained infertility. Explain this. And they're like, sorry, we can't. There's, there's just nothing we can do here. It's unexplained infertility. So I'm like, God. God, why? Why me, God? I've always wanted to be a father. You know, there are people who don't even want to be fathers and they become fathers. There are people who kill their kids and don't want to be fathers. Why me, God? So I'm going on this whole tension with the Lord. And I'm complaining and I'm murmuring and I'm grumbling. And my heart is not doing well because I felt like the promise of the Lord over my life was not coming to pass. And I felt like what he promised me was not coming to pass. Here we are, unexplained infertility. And the Lord told me, and the Lord started to speak to me about my heart attitude. Like, hey, man, you know that the power of life and death is on your tongue. You know that. So if you complain, you remain in a bad position with me. So when I was, when I was, complaining, with, when I was complaining and talking that way, I didn't really want to, like, pray or read my Bible or just talk to God. You know, I kind of give him lip service because my heart was bitter. Because my heart was bitter. I was like, how, literally, this is how I would talk to the Lord. How dare you? I was so offended with God. Really, how dare you, God? And at the time, I'm the youth pastor. Like, I'm taking care of other people's kids. I'm like, God, how dare you? Why me? Why would you do this to me? I've served you. I've done it right. Listen, I waited until marriage to have sex. Like, I did it. I did it. I did it all right. Why me? And the Lord doesn't answer that prayer. Or that, those questions, or not even those questions, not even a prayer. The Lord doesn't answer my murmuring, my grumbling. And he says, listen, man, you know the power of life and death is on your tongue. So whatever you say will come to pass. So you have two choices here. You can either remain bitter and drink bitter water, or you can put my promise on your lips and see your world come to pass. See, my promise come to pass. So at a specific time every day, or there was like, every time I would see like 11-11 or 7 I'm just, that's the kind of guy I am. 555, not 666. 555 and 666 doesn't exist anyways. On the clock, every time I would see it, it would be a reminder for me to pray. And a reminder for me to be like, God, I thank you for my children. God, I thank you for what you promised. That what you promised me is yes and amen. And I would just declare his promise over my life. Did my situation change right away? No, but what changed was my heart. 
And I went from a place of bitterness in my heart and offense towards the Lord to earnest expectation that what he said would come to pass. See, the people of Israel, when they left Marah, which means bitter, the place where they were drinking water, they traveled for three hours. So they had been traveling for three days. They traveled for three hours and got to a place called Elam. And Elam had 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees. If these people didn't stop, and they stopped because they were, they were murmuring and grumbling and complaining, if they just kept going and kept their faith, they would have never had stopped at Mara. And they would have made a place to the provision that the Lord had for them called Elam. And what's interesting is there are 12, it was an oasis with 12 sources of water. And how many tribes of Israel is there? Are there? 12. The Lord knew exactly what they needed. And the Lord was in the details for them. And my friend, I am here to tell you, the Lord is in the details for you. Not only will he provide for you, but his provision is custom made for you. And it's only when we stop before he tells us to stop because of our complaining that we get to bitter water. We get a false finish. See, the same thing for me with my girlfriend Esther. It's only because I was complaining that I got a false finish, not trusting God that he had his provision in my wife, in my Elam. See, my friends, this morning, I want to tell you guys, if you're in a place of complaining, it opens you right up to bitterness, and it stops you from further movement, further progress. So the people of Israel continue their journey in the desert. They journey through um, the desert called Sin. They get, they get to, pardon me, they get to Mount Sinai. Moses goes up the mountain to meet with God. There he meets with God. God tells him, hey, go back down the mountain. Tell the people to consecrate themselves because I want to meet with them. So Moses goes down and tells the people, hey, I need you to consecrate yourself because God wants to meet with them. So that happens. And then the Bible says that God meets with them. God comes down on the mountain like fire. See, Moses had the burning bush. You all often talk about the burning bush. The people of Israel, all of them, had the burning mountain. It was a whole mountain. Not only that, but the Bible says that Moses is talking to God, and God is answering, thundering back. Not only do they see with the evidence of God, but they hear the voice of God. These are the people of Israel. They see, they hear the supernatural. So there's no doubt. Well, I was going to say there's no doubt in their mind that God is real, but we're going to see later on. There should be no doubt in their hearts that God is real. So God tells them, hey, listen. He says in Exodus, I'm going to read it. Exodus 19, 18. Ah, uh, no, sorry. Um, Exodus 24, 9. Then Moses, God tells them to bring Moses, to bring Aaron, Nadab, Abihu. Then Moses, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel climbed up the mountain. There they saw the God of Israel. Under his feet there seemed to be a surface of brilliant blue lap, lapis lazuli, as clear as the sky itself. And though these nobles of Israel gazed upon God, he did not destroy them. In fact, they ate a covenant meal, eating and drinking in his presence. Aaron and 70 and other people and 70 elders actually saw God. 
Like they, the Bible says that they saw God and God didn't kill them. So not only did the people of Israel hear God, they saw the, the mountain catch fire and not get consumed. They ate a meal, covenant meal with the Lord. They saw God. This is, this is what happened. 40 days, or a bit later, they go down. Moses goes up for 40 days because he wants to talk with God. After 40 days, 40 days, not 40 weeks, not 40 years, not 40 days. The people say this. When, this is Exodus 32, when the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said. Make us gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here in the land from the land of Egypt. So Aaron said, take the gold rings from your ears and your wives and your sons and daughters and bring them to me. All the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. And Aaron took the gold, melted it down, and molded it into the shape of a calf. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, Oh, Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Aaron saw how excited the people were, so he built an altar in front of them, in front of them, in front of the calf, sorry. Then he announced, Tomorrow we will be a festival to the Lord. And my last point is this. Murmuring, complaining, grumbling will ultimately lead you to rebellion and to idolatry. Like I was saying, these are the people who heard God, who saw a mountain catch fire. At least 75 of them saw God. And something I didn't, I didn't realize before is when the people of Israel, when God first gave what we know as the Ten Commandments, it was the whole community that heard him. He was talking to Moses, but the Bible says that everyone was gathered and they heard him say. So they heard the voice. They got instruction from God. These are the same people after 40 days, 40 days are like, yo, this God, this God ain't real. The God that we thought was real isn't him, so let's make ourselves God according to our own understanding so we can worship this, this golden calf, this calf thing. Because murmuring and grumbling and complaining leads your hearts away from God and makes you worship something that you're not supposed to worship. Whether it is your own belief system, whether it's your own theology, or it's your own offense. When we murmur, when we grumble, when we complain, it pulls our hearts from the true knowledge of God. So, my friends, why am I talking to us about this? It's because we are on a journey. We really are. See, two weeks ago, the Lord spoke so clearly, and last week so clearly, and the Lord told us, hey, Toronto City Church, I am making you into pioneers. Hey, Toronto City Church, I am entrusting you with an outpouring of the Spirit. Hey, Toronto City Church, I am entrusting you with my favor. Hey, Toronto City Church, I trust you. Hey, Toronto City Church, I will prosper you. And often, there's a journey from the promise to the promised land. And the Lord says this, that he watches over his word to see it come to fruition. He does. He really does. What he says is yes and amen. But we have a responsibility to posture our hearts well and right to be able to see the promised land. 
Now, I was talking to you guys about my kids and my whole thing of murmuring and grumbling and thing, the Lord giving me the tool of praying and every time that I would see a certain time and to pray. See, right away my situation didn't change. But what changed was my heart. I went from bitterness and being offended with God and complaining to having an earnest expectation that it was going to happen. So year two came, nothing. Year three came, nothing. Year four came, I was like, okay, Jesus, time out, I'm a little bit out of breath. Came back, year four came, nothing. And then I was like, you know what, God? I trust you. I trust you. My hope is in you, God. I trust you. I will not make another theology. I will not, God, make another God in worship because I don't understand what happened. I will not be in a place of offense and send your presence away. God, I would not let my heart be in a place of murmuring, complaining, because I trust you, God. It is hard, but I trust And lo and behold, before we knew it, when I did not expect it, I remember the day, there's a video, I've shown it here. Remember the day I called my wife, because I'll say this, I know, I know her cycle probably better than her. There are benefits to that. I know her cycle probably better than her. So I remember I was at church, and um, I, was talking, I, was talking to, I was talking to someone. And they're like, oh, where's your wife? I'm like, oh, she's at home, and um, she's just resting. She's not feeling well. She's like, oh. I'm like, yeah, she's not. She's not. She's not. What did So I'm like, babes, you need to. Babes, you need to buy a pregnancy test right now. She's like, no. See, my wife is a captain budget, and she's like, listen, I am not going to buy a $16 pregnancy test because I made her buy a pregnancy test, something I didn't say, like every month for like the five years, and they add up. So I'm like, no, no, babes, you're like an hour late. Buy the test. I feel like you're pregnant. She's like, okay, I'll buy the test. $500 later, she's like, listen, I'm buying the dollar store test because this is not happening anymore. I'm like, my child will not appear on the dollar store test, okay? It doesn't work like that. My child is bougie, okay? Buy the real test. So I called my wife. She's like, okay, I'll take the test. And she, she took the test. And um, I remember getting home. We were in, in an apartment. I opened the door. And it was in our bedroom, so she was laying in our bedroom, and she was laying um, on the bed. And I looked at her, and she just smiled at me. I said, no, no, no. And I ran to the bathroom, and on the bathroom, there was this little test, and it said positive. And I dropped to my knees, and I started to cry. And I started to laugh and to cry. I didn't know what to do with myself. It was an unbelievable, literally an unbelievable moment for me. See, I was able to get to that moment because I kept my heart out of bitterness. And I kept my heart out of rumbling. Grumbling, pardon me. And I kept my heart out of offense. And the Lord, as he was before. See, guys, I am a walking, living, breathing miracle. Like doctors told me that I shouldn't, I, I wouldn't be alive past 30. Like there's been so many times where like I was supposed to die, like literally just die. So many times my life was not supposed to turn out like this. But my God, 
But my God, but my God, just like the people of Israel, split the Red Sea for me. He made manna fall from the sky for me. He was a pillar of fire by night and cloud by day for me. And every time I face hard times, I have a choice to make. Either I can complain, I can grumble, I can murmur, or I can remember who my God has been to me. I can remember his wonder. Just as we were singing, remember how our God has never failed, never failed us. See, Psalm 70, 24, 25 says this. They despised, they despised the pleasant land. They did not believe his promise. They grumbled in their tents. In their tents, not even public, eh? In their tents, in their hearts, they grumbled. In the secret place, they grumbled. And they did not listen to the voice of God. So how do we posture ourselves? 1 Thessalonians 5 says, 16 and 19 says this. One, rejoice always. Two, pray continually. Three, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. For this is God's will for you. For this, for this, for this is God's will for you. Pray always. Give thanks. Be thankful in all circumstances. For this is God's will. And I didn't see this. And verse 19 says this. Do not quench the spirit. Which then tells me this. Is that if we don't pray continually. If we don't always rejoice. If we don't always give thanks. If we don't give thanks in all circumstances. Then we quench the spirit of God. And what does quench mean? To extinguish, to put out, to still, to quiet, to repress, to destroy. Psalm 78, verse 40 says, How often they provoked him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. Yes, again and again they tempted him and limited, my God, and limited the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember his power. Friends, when we complain, when we grumble, when we have a bad attitude towards God, we quench the Spirit of God and we limit His power in our lives. I wonder how many of us are walking in unfulfilled promises because with our words, we limited the power of God. I wonder how many of us haven't yet seen the fulfillment of what God has said in our lives because we quench the Spirit of God. Because we've been in the habit of complaining. Because we've been in the habit of murmuring. Friends, we're going on a journey. Friends, the Lord has promised us stuff. And He said He will make us into a great people. Let us not be like the people of Israel and despise the promised land with our attitude. When we complain, when we murmur, we despise the promise of God. When we complain, when we murmur, we quench 
the Spirit of God. When we complain, when we murmur, we limit the Holy One. So this morning, I want us to do this. Let's bow our heads. And we're just going to search our hearts and ask Holy Spirit. God, and ask Holy Spirit, God, has there been places where I've complained and I've murmured and I lack trust in you? And if there have been, I just want you to take the time to repent. Just in your own word, words, just ask God for forgiveness, for limiting him in your life. Now hear the Spirit of the Lord say, as some of you repent from murmuring and complain, the very thing that you've been believing for will come to you. And there will be an unlocking in the heavens for your promise, says God. Some of you have been believing for children. And some of you have been believing for the miraculous. And the Spirit of the Lord says, what has blocked and what has caused you to not come into the fulfillment of your promise has been the position of your heart. But my child, as you repent today, and as you put your trust in me, you will see the promised land, says God. I am inviting you into a deeper place of intimacy where you know me, where you are strong, and where you will do great exploits. I hear the Spirit of the Lord say that some of you have been murmuring and complaining regarding finding a spouse. And I hear in the Spirit and some of you being like, God, why? When is it going to be my turn? How come I, I'm not chosen? How come I haven't found someone? And God says, it is a posture of the heart. Will you not trust me, my child? Will you not trust me, my child? I am in the details, says God. The same way that I provided Elam for the people of Israel, I will provide exactly what you need. But your responsibility is to keep your heart right and keep your ear close to me so you can hear my instructions, says God. God says, don't get offended. Don't be offended. I love you and I am for you, says God. And I know you. Uh, I am aware of you. I'm aware of your needs, says God. I just need you to trust me. I hear the Spirit of the Lord say, now, there's been some of you who've been worried about your children and the road that your children have been taking and the choices that your children have taken and have made part of me. And the Spirit of the Lord says, declare my word over their lives. Don't declare your worry. Don't declare your anxiety. Don't try to control, but pray 
And don't worry about anything, but present your request to me. And the peace that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts, says God. Because I am in the details, says God. This is what we're going to do. We're going to build an altar of thanksgiving this afternoon. And I want us to stand to our feet and raise our hands up to God. And just in our own words, I want you to start thanking God for who He is, who He was to you, who He's been to you, who He is to you, and who He will be. Come on, church, raise your hands. Raise your voices to God right now. Come on, let's build an altar of thanksgiving. Yeah. God, thank you so much for what you've done, God. Thank you, Father, for your provision, God. God, we say thank you. We will be a people that choose to thank you, God. We will be a people that choose to rejoice, Father. We will be a people, Father, that choose to be thankful in all circumstances, God. No matter what our life looks like, God. No matter what we're going through, God. We will not let bitterness stop us from trusting you. We will not let offense trust us, stop us from trusting you, God. It is you that we have our eyes towards God. We love you, Jesus. It is you, God. It is you, God, that we trust. God, we say thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We say thank you, God. We say thank you, God. We say thank you, God. We say thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, God, for your provision, God. Even the things that we have not yet seen, God. We put our praise on it, God. We say thank you, Jesus.
Wasn't that a good word today? Amen. Good word. I want to encourage you, let's make sure we're not just hearers. We go, yeah, that was a great message, but don't go out and actually do something about it. Amen. You know, I was really examining my heart. You say, okay, Lord, where have I allowed murmuring and where have I allowed complaining? You know, one of the things that always stands out to me about murmuring and it impacted me from Pastor Samuel's message is so often it's the quiet things we say. We know the right things to say out loud. We know the right things to say in church. We know the right things about it. What, what's, what's the inner conversations? What are things going on in our heart? And so I think it's just such a great word to even launch into the fall season with. And so let's have an amazing rest of the long weekend. Guests, please remember uh, just to go collect your gift. The cafe will be open. Uh, remember team day on Sunday. Please get your RSP to us. We're going to send another reminder to you. And if you want to join, you want to be involved, you can come on Saturday, excuse me, all church prayer. And then this week, we're going to fast today. We're praying Zoom prayer calls Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. We're continuing to lean into what God's doing. And so in doing that, you know what I want to do? We're going to dismiss. Thank you guys. And parents, yeah, we're a little over, so please run and get your kids quickly. Sorry. They're probably bouncing off the walls by about now. But Pastor Samuel had mentioned about creating an altar before the Lord. So the team's just going to worship a little bit more. And if you just want to stay for a little longer, worship and pray and just seek God, you are more than glad, uh, welcome to do so. Even invite you, you can come forward to the front and just create a little bit of time with the Lord, create that altar. But other than that, we love you guys. God bless you again, Pastor Samuel. Thank you for amazing. Can we just give a hand again for just a wonderful word, wonderful, challenging, encouraging transparent message so father we just thank you that for what you've taught us today we are going to be doers of this word i pray blessing over everyone blessing over everyone online thank you for an amazing rest of the long weekend an amazing start to school and then this coming sunday our ministry kickoff an amazing kickoff to the new year we love you lord and we thank you for all this in jesus name and everyone agreed said Amen. Well, feel free to be dismissed, but the team is going to continue to worship. If you want to continue to build an altar, feel free to come forward and worship for a little bit. God bless you guys.